Welcome to the Spring Forth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor Island. This recording was made on October 10th, 2021, the 20th Sunday after Pentecost. few items to highlight on the announcement page, council meeting on the 12th. First Lutherans having their fish fry this morning, afternoon. And Mary, tell me more about this Goodwill truck that's coming to town. Okay. Okay. And this actually is predating the fall cleanup. So is this something that they've been doing? Yes. Annually? Okay. Okay. Excellent. So with regards to the fall cleanup, if any of you have um, bulk items that you would like to be transported there, let us know so that way we can help you get some of those items to the Goodwill truck, uh, or we could do like a pickup pick share. Uh, there's no reason why you should miss the opportunity to donate items that you have because you either don't have the means to transport them or they're just a little bit bulky and awkward. So let us know, because that's part of this Helping Hands ministry that we're trying to do to help uh, alleviate concerns like, like this. So sometime, during this week, um, and uh, we'll make Mary the contact on that. You know, you can let her know and then, because Mary's good about that, facilitating the communication. Is there, or are there other things that we'd like to highlight about our announcements, any updates on individuals on our prayer list? Have you heard any more on Duane? Okay. Uh, Linda Luber is, to my knowledge, not quite home yet from her surgery last week, dealing with a fair amount of, of pain. So we, we continue to lift her up uh, as she recovers from a recent back procedure.
God be with you. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that your grace may always proceed and follow us, that we may continually be given to good works through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let us join together in our opening hymn, number 239, For the Beauty of the Earth. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Us by your loving kindness in the morning, so shall we rejoice and be glad all the days of our life. Show your servants your works your splendor to their children. In the graciousness of the Lord our God, we promise, prosper the work of our hands, 
Good morning. The first reading is from Amos chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 and 10 through 15. Seek the Lord and live, or he will break out against the house of Joseph like fire, and it will devour Bethel with no one to quench it. Ah, you that turn justice to wormwood and bring righteousness to the ground. They hate the one who reproves in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and take them from levies of grain, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many of you are transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and push aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, the prudent will keep silent in such a time, for, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Second reading is, the epistle reading is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom you must render an account. Since then we have great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Please rise for the gospel. The Gospel is Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go, sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around to his disciples and says, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed by these words. But Jesus said again to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astounded and said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and says, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything to follow you. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, there is not one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and in the age 
to come eternal life, that many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Word. Let us pray. Beloved and most merciful God, giving you thanks for this day that you have given to us. In it, you allow us the full measure of our expression. And our expression varies far and wide from practical application of skills and abilities to exercising our intellectual regimen to being able to dispense with wisdom, joy, humor, sorrow, anger, the full spectrum of human emotion. But you call us to be mindful of our spiritual formation and how that is used as a foundation for us to inject an understanding of you in the world. So may you allow us to dispense what we know of you as we learn and seek to grow deeper in that understanding of the one who came before us and has guided us. Bless, keep, and guide us in Christ's name. Amen. So we continue on with the Hebrews passage. And today there's a reference that's been made to Psalm 95. So I'm going to Get Psalm, I'm queuing up Psalm 95, and I don't know if it's the same linkage, uh, same reference for those of you in your, in your Bibles, but I'm on page 550, if you wanted to just have that sitting in front of you, 550 of the Old Testament. And the author of Hebrews is making an appeal making an appeal to a Christian community in what is now modern-day Italy. And this appeal that, that this author is making is that, first of all, we heard last week that the individuals in this Christian community were starting to grow weary of their attachment and their identification as, as Christians. The novelty had, had passed by, the thrill was gone, and they were starting to drift. And when people start to drift away from certain definitions, they don't engage the reality of those definitions that once held sway for them. When we are newly minted as Christians, we're excited to learn more about Jesus. We're excited to, to study about his life. We're excited to tell others about this, this man that we are getting to know and this expression of faith that we have. But over the years, as life starts to fill the void, we get less and less enthusiastic about being people of faith and realizing that it is just another among many labels that we wear, and it's easy to walk away from church, spiritual life, biblical study. That's what was happening to the people that the author of Hebrews was addressing, that somehow they no longer, they no longer had the enthusiasm for being defined as a Christian community, as a faith community. They no longer saw the reasons. There was no longer the urgency. They were drifting and falling away. The author realizes that this is the problem because where are they going to go where they're gonna find 
a more secure and effective and powerful message for their life? Where are they going to be able to attach themselves to a set of principles that's going to be able to carry them through the many seasons of life? A few weeks ago, I had mentioned that probably some of the best work of the household of faith is to be with individuals through the seasons of life. It's not in all the whiz-bang things that we could do as community of faith, all the unique and novel programs that we could manifest. It's being able to be with individuals in the gains and losses of everyday life. And a faith community that can manage that is a faith community that can find no better conceit of itself. But it's important that the messengers and the people who comprise that community of faith make sure that they too have their fingers on the pulse of the vitality of the community so we know when we're starting to drift. That we know when we're starting to pull away and peel away from the scriptures and from the gospel life and when spirituality no longer has the hold on us that it should or that it once had or that we know it could have. Every church goes through these seasons of ebbs and flows. Sometimes it's the call of a new minister. Sometimes it's the implementation of a new program. Sometimes it's the purchasing of a new instrument or new uh, trappings around the congregation, a new church wing that has been ribbons been cut and it's now ready for use. There's always these, these exciting things that bring individuals back. Let me tell you a story. I like to tell stories. Before... Laura and I settled on coming to Iowa to do our ministry. We were both looking for, for new calls, you know, because you want to grow. You want to grow in your career. And being an associate ministry is all good and well, but, you know, it leaves much to be desired because chances are you're mostly serving at the pleasure of the senior minister. And sometimes those partnership ministries are never as good as you want. So we were looking for our own calls as young ministers. We figured, hey, we want to we see if, if we have an opportunity maybe to serve our own church. And one of the churches that was being considered, at least by Laura, was a church in the Virgin Islands on, on St. Thomas Island. Island life. I realized island life wasn't for me, but it certainly was tempting. And in one of the conversations that Laura had with the call committee, they had expressed that their church had been devastated by not one but two hurricanes. There was, I want to say it was Andrew and Gilbert. I think those names might be, you can, you can check the dates on that one. Well, one, one church uh, building was severely devastated in one of the hurricanes, and then the next hurricane came and completely leveled that, that, that building. And what the congregation had experienced is that when the hurricane came and the building was damaged, everyone peeled away. They knew that there was going to be a tremendous amount of work to have to rebuild the sanctuary, and they just, they were tapped out. They were like, well, this community was fine when there was a building and when it, when it was vital, but now that the hurricane has come and severely damaged the infrastructure and has leveled the place, we either decide that we're going to go worship at the church that wasn't damaged or we just don't need to worship. So the remnant of the individuals who were still at that congregation and realized we need to rebuild, this is our church, we're going to rebuild, set themselves to the task of rebuilding, raising the funds, doing all that you have to do to come back in and to raise a new church building. 
they were offended. The remnant became offended because after they had accomplished all of that long and arduous work of raising money and building the building, and once they were able to consecrate and dedicate their new sanctuary, guess who returned? You can finish the story for yourself. All those who had drifted away, all those who had just sort of taken a break, all of those who said, well, we don't want to be around for the heavy lifting, but if you're going to have nice new pews and a nice new uh, piano and all that, we'll come back for that. We'll come back for the dedication in the house of worship. We won't be there for the rebuilding of that. And that's where that congregation was at at the time when Laura was in the call process for, for that church in Fredericksburg. And, and we, notwithstanding our, our, our role in that ministry, but, but hearing where that congregation was at and knowing that had that call been accepted by Laura, she was going to be coming into a congregation that was already polarized. Those who had done the work, those who had never given up, those who had stayed the course, and those who were there along for the ride when everything was good and everything was well. Every congregation that we could ever be familiar with has seasons of change like this. This church, in its history, lost a building to a fire. And though I wasn't here, some of you may remember the story a little bit closer to heart, and maybe the individuals who were involved, maybe that congregation at the time took a hit. Maybe when this building burned and they saw that magnificent structure with flames coming and pouring out of the windows, said, well, this is about as far as I can go. And they weren't around for the building of this structure, but maybe when this one was dedicated, they came back. And maybe there was some anger, maybe there was some hurt feelings. I don't know. But I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't. We have to tell these stories and we have to experience these stories and we have to resonate with these stories because that helps us to understand those who preceded us. What's happening in Hebrews is information that's not new to us. There was a congregation that was there and they had lost the glitter. They had lost the appeal. They didn't, being defined as Christians, didn't really mean anything anymore. So it took a messenger who understood what was going on to come in to tell them that that definition as a people of faith knit together by the Son of God was not a term to be easily discarded. In fact, it was a term that was going to bring them great renewal and sustain them for the rest of their days. Congregations need to hear that. They need to hear that this business that we have of corporate worship, public worship, that the business that we have of Bible study, the business that we have of committee meetings and seeing to the lifespan of the church, that can be dreary, but it is all important and necessary because if we lose this place where people can interact with the divine, then whatever would happen to those who Whatever transformation could have happened as a result of people having a place where they can pray and unburden themselves, all of that would be lost. So bear with me 
I'm going to read the Hebrews passage again, and then I'm going to read Psalm 95 so we can see the dovetail of where this author is trying to take us. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and before him no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one whom we must render an account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed down through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now this reference to approaching the throne comes to us from Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountain are his also. The sea is his, for he made it and the dry land for which his hands have formed. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hands. O that today you would listen to his voice. Do not harden your hearts as in Meribah, and on the day in Massah in the wilderness, when your ancestors tested me and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation, and said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they do not regard my ways. Therefore, in my anger, I swore they shall not enter my rest. Why does the author of Hebrews reference Psalm 95? Because they're making a connection between the individuals who passed through the Exodus. God had heard the cry of the oppressed people. Right? The people who were enslaved in Egypt had heard their cry and says, I shall deliver my people. I shall send a messenger. He sends Moses. Moses leads the Exodus. And during the entire expanse of the Exodus, instead of the people praising and worshiping and celebrating what God had done, they grumbled. It's hot out in this desert. We had flesh to eat when we were slaves. Now we're out here, we're thirsty, we're hungry. Moses doesn't seem to know what he's doing. He won't ask for directions. Moses got angry and the people got angry and they all acted badly. And as a result, God became resentful and saying, this ungrateful people, I have done all these things for them. For which one do they choose to reject me? Hebrews the author of Hebrews is setting this reminder before the people who would all know that story. They would all know the story of the Exodus. They would all know about the grumbling people and the dissatisfaction and the anger that they held towards God. And they are trying to protect this community from going the same way. Because anger of God only leads to us losing how many angry people have you met who have walked away from church because they were angry with God, angry with the people of God, through with church? And I'm through with those people. They're all rude. They're mean. They're nasty. I'm done with that institution. Church doesn't work. Bunch of hypocrites. They walk away. We lose. They lose. God loses. 
You need a messenger to come in and say, look, we have been there before. We have seen this behavior before, and it never yields any fruit. Why is it different this time? Why does the author of Hebrews say it's different this time? Because the high priest then had punitive nature. When you sinned in this context, there was rejection. But now we have a high priest who has been tested just as we have, Jesus. That Jesus has been tested, he was criticized, he was ridiculed, he was made fun of, misunderstood, yet he endured. He endured the insults, he endured the rejections, yet it says, tested as we are, yet without sin. And as a result of this example of Christ, this embodiment of God's goodwill and purpose in this man, we should not be afraid to draw near to God's presence. Now, drawing near to God's presence is in a variety of ways. For us, it is in the act of worship. It's in the act of devotion. It's in the act of prayer. It's in the act of being able to invoke the divine wherever we happen to be. It's an eagerness and an enthusiasm to want to be close to sacred objects, sacred things, sacred behavior, because we do not fear punishment. And again, that is a message that the contemporary congregation needs to hear. Perhaps, perhaps you haven't considered the fact that even today in the contemporary age, the church is still grossly associated with fear and punishment. I don't know how many endless jokes ministers have to endure about what it's like when you walk into a space. Oh, pastor's here. Everyone behave. Put away your smokes. Put away the alcohol. Put away the foul language. Pastor's here. And just the constant annoying jokes about all of a sudden we have to come correct. And the church has been so burdened with this image where we or we've, we've, we've been kept at such a distance. And people don't want to come to church because it's a place where you're reminded of your wretchedness. You're reminded of all of the things, our shortcomings, our lack of wisdom, our short tempers. Somewhere there's been accumulated what I would call just poor ministry heavy-handed sermons about the, the condemnation and the wretchedness of humanity, heavy-handed uh, parishioners who don't leave room for forgiveness from the people they share the pews with, too much looking down one's nose at, at others' infractions, shaking your head at their weaknesses, their addictions, their poor decisions, and all of this sort of accumulated ministry has been saddled upon us. All the whole host of everything that's been done wrong in Christendom has now come to rest like dust on our pews. And if we don't wipe it away, if we don't go out there and defend, if we don't present and project a new image, what's going to prevail? What's going to prevail is the same old tropes about church and about church people that have always existed. 
that they say one thing and do another, that they don't really care about you, they just want to get into your wallet, they want to manipulate you, they're cruel and harsh and nasty judgmental people. So we have to resonate at some level with this author of Hebrews, this, this individual who's like the new voice of one crying in the wilderness and saying, that's not so, that's not been my experience with Christ. He has done nothing but pour hope and renewal into me. He makes me excited to wake up on a new day. He makes me excited to go and engage with the stranger, to engage them with some level of service, to pray for them without shame. See, it's, 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 on, it's always on us to have to keep rewriting that new definition of the gospel that renews and transforms and preserves and does not condemn. Because condemnation is locked in tight in the whole history of Christendom. I've had people who have told me, I don't like that, I don't like that Old Testament referring to the Hebrew Scripture. I said, why is that? They said, too much punishment, too much bloodshed, too violent. I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that Old Testament God. I like that Jesus God. I like the one who loves. I like the one who doesn't hold you mired down in your sin. I said, well, you have to realize that you know, Jesus was born and rooted and has his whole tradition in the Hebrew Scriptures. That we are grafted in as Christians. That's our story as well. And if you think that somehow we are many generations removed from the hostility and the rudeness that these people visited upon one another, think again. Think again. I find that Hebrews comes at a very appropriate time in our life when we need to attach ourselves to something that's significant, significantly good, hopeful, something that gives us a moment of pause, something that reminds us that there is still time for us to turn about. And we are trying our best to breathe renewal into our worshiping spaces so that way, when the strangers come, if we can convince them, they won't find the condemnation that they've always assumed was waiting for them beyond those doors. But they will find a welcome and a compassion. They will find a pardon. They will find a love unimaginable. They will be enthusiastic to draw near to God because they do not feel as if God is going to cast them out, but has been waiting with bated breath, to receive them in their time of need. But the only way that people can be convinced that, that what they will find is the real deal is if they see it first exhibited in those of us who proclaim it through our words and our deeds. Now it's work because the world will press us. And the world will press us and we will snap and we will lose our tempers and we will say and do unpleasant things. But it doesn't stop there. When our composure is tested, we renew ourselves through prayer. 
if we feel that sometimes the burden is too great to carry, then we call the community of faith and say, I'm, I'm going to need some support. I'm going to need some uplift. The renewal of the church is a collective effort. And it's one that many of us would rather not think about because there's a lot of sort of pedantic things, a lot of reading of journals and articles and, and studying life cycle of churches, which, you know, a lot of you people, you know, you don't want to have, you don't have to worry about that sort of thing. But I want to invite you in on the truth is that the life cycle of the church requires the honed efforts of every person in the community of faith. It requires each and every one of us being sensitive to why we need worship, why we need Bible study, why we need prayer, why we need this renewal. And then we start to think about that in the expanse of everyone that we know who's part of our communities of faith. And we realize that perhaps maybe their needs are not so dissimilar to our own. That maybe they sometimes hit a wall and their reason fails them and they are weary and they are hard pressed and they are right on the cusp of losing it. But for the grace of God. So each and every one of us is called to be the exemplar beam of light that will shine that truth down on the weary participant and say, you are not alone. I understand exactly where you are because I am you. That's why Jesus makes this gospel so bearable because he's right down there in the valley with us, taking the hits before us, showing us how to weather the storm, showing us how to weather the criticisms, showing us how to, how to endure the hardship after hardship. So life is not a collection of misfortunes, but it's opportunity for us to be able to glimpse and experience God's grace. That's the only thing that's going to convince people that church is worthwhile, is the ability for us to radiate that grace even in the midst of our most tumultuous times. Think on these things. And we will be back to continue Hebrews in the coming week. Amen. Let us lift our voices in our response of hymn number 50.
Let us turn our hearts and minds towards the fellowship of God in prayer, being mindful of those who are, we're holding in prayer on our, on our list and in our hearts. Let us pray for one and all. We beseech you this morning, merciful God, to remind us of all that is truly at stake. There are definitions that the world imposes upon us on the basis of their interactions, their understanding of us as people of faith, as individuals in general. And then, there, of course, there are those definitions that we try to mine for our, ourselves of what we want to project and, and how we want to be known and understood. I personally want to thank you for the epistles that we've been moving through who have reminded us that these are not new difficulties for the church, that the church throughout every age has struggled with congregational definition, effectiveness, has struggled with the, the rise and the fall of the members, the rise and the fall of their understanding, the ebb and flow of what it means to be a person of faith for our own time and place, how to be effective, how to be consistent, how to endure. And so we thank you that there has been this long legacy of trying to make sure that the message of the gospel of compassion remains consistent and that it can still resonate with us as much as it has resonated with those who have come before us. We ask your blessing on those who are on our, our prayer list, those in our hearts and minds, individuals who are at various seasons of life, some in the season of recovery, others in the final chapters. And as difficult as it is for us to have to accept the decline of health amongst those we have come to know and love. We accept that your will will guide us and them, and that your compassion will speak to us and help us to frame the words that we do not have the strength nor composure to frame ourselves. We ask that you comfort all individuals, their varying levels of affliction at the various walk in life. We ask that you would bolster and inspire our faith that we would not just pretend at being people of faith, but that we would ask the important questions about what is important about our faith to us and then to spiral out from that core from that center and to think that perhaps quite possibly these could be the very reasons why the other members of our household of faith also gather, that they are sustained by the very same things that give us hope and give us assurance. And finding this common ground, we can continue to fashion a house of prayer for all people where compassion and transformation are not just 
intellectual items for talk, but actual experiences that can be felt. We set before you today our own joys and concerns. Meet us where we're at and hear our prayers. Thank you for hearing our prayers. Remember us as we pray as one. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Let us join together in our covenant. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I thank you for allowing us to draw near to you, God, and to not allow any fear of condemnation to keep us at such a distance. May you infuse in us the enthusiasm to carry that message of hope and renewal everywhere we happen to go, that others might experience in and through us your loving touch. And may we be as effective a witness to your compassion as you will make us capable. In Jesus' name, amen. On a night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal. He took bread and divided it and gave it to his disciples and says, this is my body given for you. They shared the cup together. He says, my blood shed for the remission of sins. For your body, for your blood, for your compassion and grace, for your renewal and liberation that you bring, we thank you for all of that. We thank you for things that you are about to do that have not yet happened, but for which we will be profoundly blessed. We thank you for the witness that you have given us, a witness that has been consistent both in the good times and in the bad, that keeps us radiating your grace, singing your praises. Lead us forth that we who have been renewed and forgiven may renew and forgive. Amen. We join together in our closing and final hymn, number 559.
most merciful, uh, created in the image of God, may the grace of Jesus Christ, may the love of God, and may the sure and certain fellowship of the Holy Spirit guide your steps now. Until we meet again, be at peace. Amen. Thank you.